Do you really believe that everyone can own their own freedom? I do. I think um, some people's path to that is a lot longer than others. Like I have people um, inside my community and people I know that have come from, I don't want to speak too much generalities here, but probably worse situations than anybody listening to this. Like uh, Eunice, one of, one of my dudes here in St. Louis, he, uh, he got um, stabbed in high school 20 times by his uncle. He got shot in a drive-by shooting. He was in the foster care system and his girlfriend broke up with him, which he said it hurt him worse than anything. And he's 22 years old. He owns 17 rental properties and has wholesaled over 20 houses. And he's 22 years old. And he, that was his upbringing. He and he he moved over from Africa when he was three, didn't speak any English, didn't speak really and got in the foster care system. Like those type of situations, like very few people have had to overcome that. And, And I had a leg up on a lot of people, but I always say like, lower middle class is where I came from, like one pair of tennis shoes a year, pack your lunch every day to save money. Like the best way to describe it is like, we didn't have a lot, but I didn't want for anything. Like you didn't know any different as a kid. So I not like no sob story, but we, I didn't come from like money. So I feel like a lot of people need to get through that mindset side of it. And then you take action and anybody can do it. It might take somebody listening 10 years to buy 10 rentals. It might take somebody else 10 months to buy 10 rentals. Like everybody has a path to get there. They just have to figure out the next step and the next step to actually achieve it and they have to not give up when they fail because that's the the number one thing that that leads to um people not succeeding is they give up after they fail Welcome, Sam. Welcome to the Keep It Up Listen podcast. Uh, Today is a great episode. We have Sam Prim. Um, You may know him as Sam Faster Freedom. He is all over social media, almost 3 million subscribers, followers. Uh, The best thing that I like about you, Sam, is not only are you everywhere, but there's a ton of effort. that you have put in over the past few years. Um, you've put up 2,000, 2,100 posts on Instagram, uh, 1,900 posts on TikTok, and several hundred posts on YouTube. How are you able to do this? Uh, I've heard that you're doing this yourself. So how are you able to manage to do this? And what is your social media strategy? Yeah. So appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So it kind of boils down to James is I'm what some would call a psychopath. No, just kind of kidding. So I, I, I enjoy what I do and I put everything in. Um, I try to put everything in everything I do. So I got on social media in 2020 when a lot of people did. So I didn't have any training before then and just started posting, honestly. Um, just post as much as possible. My initial strategy was to grow a YouTube channel because I wanted my videos to make me money. Like rental properties have like kind of passive income, put out a quality video and just get those that ad since money coming in. And since I sucked then and sucked even more now at YouTube, that, that strategy didn't quite end up working out. But what I did was I um, originally wanted a YouTube channel, make money from that. I did, wasn't good at that, wasn't getting views. So then I created a TikTok and, and an Instagram and started to post that short form stuff. So I got a little bit more traction there. And 
most of it was me up until probably like maybe a year ago. So maybe 2 million of those followers were kind of just me and my phone, which was a lot of work, um, you know, just posting and, and seeing stuff that worked that didn't work and excited about a video and having it bomb, getting videos with 80 views and 40 views and those things. Eventually with uh, persistence and just continuing to post started to get a feel for my brand, a feel for how to post and a feel for what would hit and what wouldn't hit and kind of really, really started to really go all in when I started to get some traction. So for the most part, it's been me, but now, now I do have a team of, you know, I, I got a, a two editors and, and like a social media branding guy. So I got a, a team of three on the social media team, including me. So now starting to, starting to take a little bit more seriously, but I'm still heavily involved, which I think is the main thing that sets sets me apart. Most people with a following anywhere near mine or less or more aren't really involved in the process. They're moved on to other things, but I take pride in it. So I'm, I'm heavily involved. And, and that's what I like about it is that you answer your DMs directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, no, I'm not talking to your assistant or, nope. you know, I'm not talking to your other phone that may be in someone else's hand. I'm actually speaking to you. There has to, the, the rubber has to meet the road. Like you said, you've, you've gotten help over the past year, but was there a certain schedule that you set up? And like you said, you would get 80 views and also, uh, Sam, I have to say you have a hundred, almost a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube. That is not easy at all. Most people are trying to get a thousand and the 400, I mean, the 4,000 hours. I think you need to give yourself a little credit there. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, how, how were you able to time block and, um, what, what is your actual strategy? Was it just to upload a video a day? Um, I really want to get into this because it's hard to miss you. And okay. that's, that's extremely difficult to do with just one person. Yeah, no. So it was a lot of work. So I was able to focus a lot of time on it. I feel like most people that get started and it's, it is a little bit harder now to start than it was in 2020 when I got on the bandwagon, but it was harder in 2020 than it was in 2017. It just gets more saturated every single day, but there is still plenty of space. 99% of people consume, 1% of people actually produce. So it, there's still plenty of space there. So my biggest thing was just the time. Like I didn't have any training in it. My videos didn't do super well at first. Um, when I say suck at YouTube, I, I mean, I, I, I guess sucks a little aggressive of a word, but I, I don't, I didn't give very many views. I actually quit, quit posting like, you know, talking head videos on YouTube because it wasn't a good use of my time and energy. And we would get, you know, I'd spend five, six hours recording a video. I'd spend money with my team editing it and I'd it'd get like 400 views or 800 views. And I would spend 10 minutes creating a TikTok and Instagram and it'd get 2 million views. So it's like, well, I know the longer views are better, but it's a volume game as well. And, and more people seeing your face. So um, that was part of it. But at first, when I got started, I was able to focus my full attention on growing the brand and getting into social media because I had other businesses that were helping fund my day-to-day life. So, you know, I was able to focus 30 hours a week on social media for two years. Like you got to be, um, you know, not very talented to not eventually get it. No, it took me longer than some, maybe faster than others. But the fact that I had 30 hours a week, my, my, my thumb still hurt from like doing editing and doing everything and figuring out what worked. Like, very few people have the time to do that as well as still, you know, make ends meet. So I had a flipping company. We buy 250, 300 houses a year. I have a rental portfolio and I have people running those and the partner that kind of oversees them. So it, it gave me the latitude to focus for two years, basically 
um, a year of that not really growing a following and another year not really making any profit to to actually make this work. Most people can't go two years without making a profit on, on a venture. So I think that's the main thing. It's like nothing special. It's just I had the time and I put in the effort. And I think anybody could do it at that point. Uh, but it, it was a lot of just uh, repetitiveness and maybe ignorance of just continuing to post even though we weren't getting the traction right away. I, I saw the bigger picture of I understand if I can get millions of eyeballs every single a month, I can help a lot of people and I can make a lot of money. I knew that was the case. I'd seen it. I just uh, hadn't seen it for myself yet. Well, you got enough impressions to reach Dave Ramsey. Yeah, Dave, <laughs> my buddy Dave. <laughs> and uh, the you've bothered Dave a lot. Uh, Dave spent a good amount of time on his show uh, yes. speaking about uh, how you were carrying one of your children. Uh, you were also carrying a dog and you were talking and, and highlighting how you were $25 million in debt. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So, um, a, I have nothing against Dave. I love that he did that. That was, uh, it was like perfect. Like he was, he was, he took like five minutes and just like ripped me apart and was very visceral. So he allowed me to like punch up because he punched down, obviously his brain's way bigger than mine. He allowed me to punch up and um, not look like I was like just grasping at his tail. Like at his, yeah, he called me a liar, right? So he gave me plenty of opportunity to, and I've gone, I've created like three or four videos about it. Um, and occasionally people are like, you know, stop going back at him. It's like, well, A, he called me a liar and B, I, I've only done three or four videos on it. So I have nothing against Dave. I love that he did that. I wish he would let me on his show, but uh, he won't. Um, I, that's just, it's not good for his brand. He is an incredible entrepreneur and super, super smart with how he does it. But he, he, he's a black or white guy. He can't have any grays, any colors in between that. That's his brand. Like that cannot be good. If it is, if he gets a chink in that debt armor, then it kind of corrodes his whole brain. So he will never uh, admit. And I've talked to people that know him that off, off camera, he's like, yeah, if you know what you're doing, that's not horrible, but he can't say that on camera. So, which I respect and it's fine. So I loved it. It was, it was great for the brand. Um, he, his audience is people that are bad with money that are afraid of debt. My audience is people that are responsible with money and are willing to leverage to create wealth. So I always tell people, if you want to not be poor, follow Dave and not being poor is a good place to be. Yes. But if you want to create wealth, you got to follow the things that I say. Eventually you can listen to him at first, but you're not going to create wealth by saving your money. It's just, there's not enough time. People don't make enough money to save your way to wealth. There's, there's the perfect uh, example. I saw a tweet the other day that Dave Ramsey's worth like five or 600 million. Awesome. Right. Um, but he might be the first billionaire with zero debt. Right. Awesome. Good for you, Dave. Like they were bragging on Dave. I look at it as, all the other billionaires and multimillionaires in this world got it through debt. So you do you want to do the one thing that the guy with one of the biggest group brains in the country did, or do you want to do what everybody else does? So that's where I just look at it more logically than anything else. And I, I tend to trust people more that they, if with a little bit of guidance, they can be responsible with that. Yeah. Some of the richest men in the world, mainly Elon Musk, uh, almost went bankrupt as far as his companies twice. And he, he's, 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 everything has worked out for him pretty well. So he's done all right for himself. <laughs> so uh, speaking of the, the debt portfolio that you have, you have $45 million in real estate. I believe it's up to 50 million down now, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it kind of fluctuates a little bit and we don't like keep it exact, you know, we, we okay. track it a little bit to a certain degree, but I always say 46 to 47. It's um, probably a, closer to 50, but you know, we haven't done a complete like comp search on everything, but yeah, 45 to 50 million. Yep. Can you give a little bit of the backstory of one, how you got into real estate and how did you 
accumulate all of these assets to build a portfolio of 45 million, 47 million in real estate? Yeah. So I got into it just, um, not on a whim, but me and me and a buddy, we were buddies in, you know, middle school, high school, college, and we had a painting business in college. So we had been, you know, friends for a while and, and been in business a little bit. We, uh, we tried to be bookies for a little bit in college. That didn't work out. We tried to sell some other things that didn't work out either. So we were willing to try things. And, um, I think a couple of years after I graduated, he sent me rich dad, poor dad and ended up reading it on my honeymoon and, uh, just kind of opened my eyes. I know that's not like super, that's pretty cliche. A lot of people say that, but I just started to understand, you know, assets and debt and leverage and cash flow and things just opened my eyes a little bit. And, and I remember reading the stat 90% of millionaires are created through wealth. And I know a lot of people say that, but I just take that to heart that like Forex, crypto, um, you know, starting your own business, uh, 401ks, IRAs, investing in, in companies, all of that makes up 10% combined. The other 90% comes through real estate. Now, granted, a lot of times it's people's personal residence that they live in for 30 years and it grows in value, but still real estate does that. You can own that same thing and rent it out. So that was kind of the reason uh, that we got in. And, and the reason I started using debt is because I didn't have enough money. When we got started, we didn't have enough money to put 20% down on a rental. That's the only thing I thought you could do. So I, I knew you could I knew you could borrow money to flip houses. I'd, I'd seen like flip or flop HGTV where you, you know, where you can borrow money from your friends, put the profits, all that stuff. So I knew you could do that, but I didn't know about the rental leverage part. I just thought, let me get 20% to put down on a rental. I don't have it. Let's flip a house and make, use the profit to do that. And during that process, I understood about, I learned about the Burrs method and refinancing and ended up keeping that, that house, uh, myself and keeping as rental. I still own it today. So we did that for six or seven times and quickly realized that we needed active income as, uh, aside from our W2s if we wanted to quit because cash flow from rentals isn't going to do it. And then we started to get into wholesaling and flipping and quit our jobs uh, about three years later and went all in 2018. And that's when things really, really took off. We were able to buy like 25 rentals maybe in three years with 10 hours a week each, me and my business partner. So we're like, what happens if we can spend 60 hours a week each on this? And and uh, it, it did end up bearing, bearing out that the more time we focused on it, the more deals came our way. And let, you know, the way we were able to scale quickly to round out your question was, you know, buying packages of houses, 27 pack of houses, 42 pack of houses. We, we bought 42 houses in the same neighborhood in one deal. So that'll up, upscale it. And then a uh, multifamily. So from 2000, so COVID of 2020, uh, to end of 21, that like 18 month period, uh -huh. um, when a lot of people initially were scared, we just decided to go all in and, and not scale back. And a lot of people scaled back their marketing and their teams. And we just went all in. We bought about $25 million worth of real estate in that 18 months. So that 18 months, the market was hot. Interest rates were low. We really took advantage of that. So that was, uh, looking back, it was like, duh. But at the time it was kind of like, <laughs> not everybody was doing that. So it was a little bit of a risk. All right. So, I've been in business a little while. I've spoken to a bunch of people in real estate on the show and they talk about active income a lot. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned W2 income. Uh, most of the people that I've interviewed, um, they're, I would say they're fairly new into real estate about three to five years and they're still building out their portfolio. Uh, you can't really get a lot of funding without W2 income. So, um, what made you feel comfortable to get away from that? Because you were making a quarter of a million dollars a year mm -hmm. and that's not, you know, that's not a drop in the bucket anywhere in America. So Especially St. Louis. <laughs> it went a long way and it was, uh, yeah, it was one of those things where we got started again, didn't have the money. And then I started to get promoted and do well at that job as we were kind of starting to crawl in our real estate journey. 
Um, so we had really good relationships built. I think the biggest thing for us and that I tell my students and tell anybody is, um, you know, having that W2 job is not a bad thing. If you hate it, that's different. But if you like it, okay, can swallow it, or you, or you really like it, having that W2 job makes you so much more bankable. Um, you know, a bank would rather see a $90,000 W2 salary than making, you know, $250,000 in your first year at a small business. They just would for whatever reason. So, um, having that W2 income and then building those relationships with the banks for three years, 25 rentals, two banks, we had multi, you know, a few million dollars in loans each with that, that really allowed us to, to be able to continue to get funding after we quit and started those W-2 jobs or started quit those W-2 jobs and started those, those full-time, um, you know, entrepreneurial jobs. So one bank got a little bit hesitant. The other bank was good with it. So having, I guess I would tell most people develop good relationships with banks, have some deals with them already. Let them, let them know that you're serious about it. Show them your business plan, communicate with them, and then you'll let them know what's going on. So they're not caught off guard. And if you have two or three relationships with banks and you know, you got, you know, have built it over two or three years, that's, that's what I tell people to do before they quit their job. I'm not a jump in head first, whether there's, you know, water in the pool or not and figure it out. I'm more of a, like the quitting my job was very strategic. Cause like you said, I had a, I had a two-year-old daughter at the time and, um, you know, was building a pool in my backyard and all the things from that W-2 job. So it was, uh, I got a lot of, um, you're stupid for doing this. Um, I got a lot of like my mom saying, your dad doesn't think this is a very good idea. He thinks you're gonna be living in our basement in two years. Um, and then I got a lot of like, uh, you know, like that's super risky because there's a lot more $50,000 jobs and $250,000 jobs. So if you're living based on that income and it doesn't work out, it's going to be hard to get that income back as opposed to a lesser of a job. So it's kind of this whole thing, but the, the time worked out really, really well. And um, I didn't end up making as much money for the first two years. I, I made good money, but not as much, uh, but it was kind of that long-term play. How was the strain on the, the family? Because you said you had a two-year-old, you're building a pool in the back, which pools aren't cheap, just keeping the water flowing in the pool and keeping yeah. it clean. Heating it in St. Louis, it gets chilly sometimes, heating, Billy. Oh, yeah. So uh, how how were you able to, uh, one, keep a fresh mind, and two, keep a fresh uh, energy in the home, I want to so say? I, yeah, for sure. No, so when I got started, I... I I was an idiot. I'm kind of, I mean, I am an idiot still. So when I got started, I just kind of did it. I didn't, I didn't like, I wasn't like defiant against my wife, but I didn't really communicate, you know, going to start the side hustle and doing this. And she's like, all right, you know, we didn't have kids when I got started and I was running around evenings, weekends doing this. And I, there came a point where she's like, why are you doing this? Especially when I got promotions and was making good money. She's like, I don't see any extra money from this because we're buying rentals and we're keeping the money in there using none of our own money and um, flips. We did, we kept the money in the bank account for when we screwed up flips and lost money. Um, she's like, she didn't really get it. And I didn't like, she didn't say no, don't do this, but I didn't explain it to her. So that, that caused some friction in, in the home. And I ended up, uh, giving, doing PowerPoint presentations for her. I still have them on my computer. So, um, there, it only took two or three months cause she got the, the idea once I showed her, but I was like, I did PowerPoints. Like, here's what I'm doing. Here's the responsibilities, what Luke's is doing, what I'm doing. Here's why, here's where our net worth is. Here's like where things are going, where I think I can get eventually. So just communicating that if I would have done it earlier, probably would have avoided a, a few fights here or there. Um, but uh, eventually I, I learned uh, the hardheadedness and started to communicate and let her see the bigger picture. And by that point, when I decided to quit my job, she was, she was on board. She definitely knew it was a risk, but she was on board because I explained the process to her finally through, uh, through finally getting it through my thick skull. So you and your business partner are friends. 
Oh yeah, we've been I, friends for thirty years. Okay, I've started another pod. I start previously started another podcast with friends. Mm-hmm. That podcast no longer exists. <laughs> uh oh, James. <laughs> James. <laughs> but we're 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 all still good friends. But uh, there there was a lot of uh, communication issues. I think we didn't have a good strategy in place. How have you been able to maintain a fruitful relationship? with your business partner and build out other businesses along the way, because you don't just own, you know, rental properties, correct? You have uh, yeah, a property have management company, three uh, businesses. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, so it was, it was pretty, um, so Lucas and I have been friends for a long time. Um, we, you know, middle school, high school, playing sports together, college together. Um, we had those businesses together already. Um, we, got in like bar fights with other people. We like got in fist fights with each other, like just the like super like bonding bro thing. So we were, we were felt pretty comfortable with each other knowing that, you know, we we're going to give this a shot. And we had, we have similar core values, similar focus, similar long-term goals, similar craziness. So that was, that wasn't as big of a deal to me just having Lucas do it with me. It gave me confidence when, when I was down or out, which happened a few times, I wanted to quit. He pulled me up when he was down or out. I pulled him up. And when we were both up and when we're both up now, like watch the F out, we're going to do some really cool stuff. So it's like, I saw pretty quickly one plus one can equal 100, not one plus one equals two like or three or four. Like we're not doing this just to get a little bit better. We're doing this to do things we could never do on our own. Um, so that was that part of it. And I think having the clear expectations, but then you didn't ask about this, but it kind of along the same path is we have uh, 46 or 47 team members. Uh, employees, however you want to look at it. And like 15 of them are our friends. Like our, I'm one of our, our dispositions rep who sells all of our uh, house flips with 250 houses a year, our house wholesales. He, I, I met him in kindergarten. Um, and then, uh, uh, one of our newer acquisitions rep, uh, guys named Sean, uh, he was my neighbor. I met him when I was like four. So like these friends that, uh, Luke's and I quickly decided like, we're going to go some cool places. We've done some cool things. We think we're going to come like have a, a hundred million in real estate and have a billion dollar company. Like why wouldn't we want to take those that we know and love up with us? As long as we do a few things, which is setting a clear expectation of what things are, making sure that they understand the role and and communicating with them. And now fortunately 50 employees isn't huge, but it's big enough where we're able to move. We've moved a couple of our friends around roles that just weren't the right fit. So I value loyalty and culture and I'll teach you a skill and you get those with your lifelong friends. Like they'll literally run through a freaking wall for us, like, and and do anything and drop it a hat. And you don't get that usually from someone that you don't have a, uh, you know, a relationship with prior. So it is risky. It does get hairy. Sometimes we've had some uncomfortable conversations. We've had some issues, but overall I look at the, uh, the positives and I think it's has much more upside than downside. And I'm willing to navigate the downside and it's fun working with your friends and and doing goofy stuff and doing cool stuff and, and helping them. You know, we have of our 45 people working for us, probably 20 of them own rentals. And there's probably 500 rental units aside from Lucas and mines inside this building. Our construction manager has 40 rentals. One of our coaches, Carol has 38 rentals. Our, our, um, the COO of our flipping company, he's got seven rentals now. The COO of our rental company, he has eight. So like we're helping them create wealth. So that's that's really cool. And um, I'm sure we'll have even uh, more South moments in the future here and there. But overall, I, I tend to look at the glass half full and it, it's much more full with your friends. You've been doing this since full time since 2018. 
you started in 2015, correct? Yep. So, so 2014, but we refinanced the first one in 2015. So I say 2015, Luke says 2014, but anyways, yes, that time. So, so almost 10 years now to get to about 47 million in real estate. Uh, you mentioned the Burr method, but how, how were you able to, to do this? Uh, the Burr method is, it, it seems like it would work. Flipping seems like it would work, but a million dollars is a, is a large number to a lot of people. Oh yeah. Me too. <laughs> and, and, <A> lot of <laughs> money. You have 47 of those. So in real estate, so how, what method do you have or you use um, with your team to get to that number? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all the Burr's method. And the beautiful thing about the Burr's method, it's five letters, but you can be flexible. Like we have bought, you know, we have a flipping company that buys and sells 250 houses a year. And, you know, obviously we pick rentals off from that, but that's one at a time. Like that's not going to add up super quickly over time. It will, uh, but we have that running in the background, constantly adding. I, I don't know exactly, but I think we bought about 20 or 25 this year, a couple a month as far as rentals that I keep. But like we're adding that constantly. And then we've picked off bigger chunks of like the, the 42 pack of houses we bought. We burned it. Uh, 42 pack of houses. We got it. Don't need to go to the backstory, but we got it for three and a half million, 83 grand a door. Um, you know, not many people were able to take that down as well as the financing and management of it. We use a private lender for the down payment and rehab a bank for the other 80% and then, um, you know, rehabbing them, make them nicer. And then we're going to refinance next year and pay back our private lender plus interest. So it's just like an extended burrs. We've done that with all six apartment complexes that we own. We've done that with the, um, you know, the self stores that I own. So you're able, you can burr anything if there's upside in equity through rehabbing and it cash flows after the fact. So it's just all about leverage. Like you mentioned Musk earlier, like he leveraged his way to where he is. Jeff Bezos leveraged his way to where he is. Like every successful uh, business owner uh, leverage or to that degree leverages their way to it. Like Apple sits on 200 billion cash every time they release their quarterly books, 100 billion debt almost every time over the past two years. They could pay off their debt twice over, but they understand the value of leverage and scaling with that debt, plus the tax benefits of debt. That's not tax. So I've been able to pull equity from my rental portfolio in the six and seven figures and still not pay a dime of tax on that because it's debt and it's refinance money and still have that equity that you mentioned earlier between the 25 and 45. So if you can like grasp leverage and be and be responsible with what you're buying with it, that's like the secret sauce that most people are scared of to actually get to the next level and scale. And you said, and you mentioned the word scale. I, I, I heard you uh, mention this before. I can't remember where it was. I believe it was on a uh, bigger podcast podcast. Yeah. I did an episode on scaling with that. Yeah. Uh, do you still use the scaling strategy and can you give um, my listeners just a little insight into that? Yeah, for sure. So scaling it. So quickly, a quick recap on it. So the Burr method buy rehab, rent, refinance and repeat repeats. Good. It's great. It's a cool method. It's been around a long time. Brandon Turner um, kind of coined those letters, but this method has been around a long time. And that repeat step just wasn't, um, it wasn't like teeth sinkable to give you a made up word um, as I wanted. Like go back and repeat. What if you did it wrong? So scale is like a process that I kind of developed and made an own acronym for it. And like you said, Bigger Pockets had me on an episode just to talk about scaling. And it's a method that I've used to scale education, flipping, like it can work in any, any, any industry. So in general, I'll just quickly go over it. So the scale is an acronym as well. So buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and scale. Um, 
the S stands for systems. Like if you, if you want to scale, you have to create systems. I don't like it. Lucas does. My COOs do. So great. But you need systems. If you want to buy more rentals, if you want to rehab more rentals, if you want to get more funding, you have to create systems around that or you're just going to be inefficiently flying through the wind. But if you can have systems that you follow along the way, takes discipline to do that, you'll scale. The C stands for community. You have to get involved in your community. Most people have to pay for that. Like I spend about a hundred grand a year to be in masterminds. I don't know one successful person that I consider like ultra successful that doesn't like pay to be in a mastermind, a mentorship, a community, um, a life coach, whatever it is of, of, you know, uh, um, a marriage coach, whatever, like getting some help from a professional that's, that knows something that you don't, or that's where you want to be. Um, so you need to do that in my opinion, if you want to scale action, um, is the next is the a, you have to take action, like massive action, like continual action. You just have to always be acting. Cause that's where you learn. Like I tell my students, I feel like we have the best community and it's not even close. And I'll teach you 75% of it, or I'll teach you 25% of it. You're only, you're still going to learn 75% by taking action. So I literally cannot teach it without you taking action. You're going to learn on the job. L stands for lead flow. Any business, this works for all businesses. You need to increase your lead flow, especially in real estate. It's a numbers game. If you want to add 10 rentals this year, you're probably going to have to look at 75 to 100 houses. It's just a, it's just a funnel. So you have to increase your lead flow. And then the E is extra funding. You need extra funding. You need more than one private lender and more than one bank if you want to scale. You need three private lenders, two hard money lenders, some lines of credit. And then you need three or four small local banks or credit unions. Like you need a volume in your funding category to scale. So just that, in my opinion, that's how I've scaled is your systems, community, action, lead flow, and extra funding. That that works for me. And it, it works for a lot of the people that I, I help and coach and teach as well. It, it's it's a good process. It it just it just takes time. It's simple, but it's not easy. Very, very most people confuse those two words. They're not the, they're not synonyms, easy and simple. Just because I make it sound simple in a video or on this podcast, it does not mean it's easy. It's not. We're, we're creating wealth. We're not creating widgets. That requires a lot of hard work and effort and blood, sweat and tears and, and regret and mistakes and screw ups and failing, but it, it, it's, it's simple. So you just have to stick with it. How do you coach someone into having this mindset? Because you've been pretty resilient through, I mean, at a time when people, you know, bat down the, ha- the uh, boarded up the houses and bat down the hatches for COVID, right? You mm-hmm. said you you guys went full board, and obviously it worked out for you and your team. You seem you seem to have a level of confidence that most people don't have, and you just essentially do what you say you're going to do. Uh, where does that come from? Have you had to coach someone up on that? And how do you constantly keep that mindset? For sure. Hold on. Stay right there. Said I can edit. This, this is, I don't know if this is edit or if this is a video or not, but there's where it comes from, right? BDE, big debt energy. <laughs> that's the energy, big debt, D E D T. So that's where it comes from, big debt energy. No, um, I I'm think I, I definitely, up. uh, I, yeah, I got shirts and hats. I think I think it's funny. Some people think it's stupid, but anyway, BDE, big dead energy. Um, so I think that uh in general, I think it's something that comes over time. Um so I think the confidence that I have, um, and I definitely have moments where I'm not, it comes from like uh 
it comes from experience and success and failing. So I failed a lot. So I have confidence to know that failure is not the end of the world. I've succeeded a lot. So I know that, you know, you can, I can do it. So I think just the proof and the evidence has led to that confidence. And then mindset's a big thing for me. I used to be like a roll up my sleeves. Like, I don't care if you get up and do your yoga and you're meditating and sailing your head and, and, you know, do the, all the scribing, I'm just going to get up and work. So like my, like mindset was, I'll just outwork you and mindset doesn't matter. And that, that, that helped a lot. That was huge for me, but there's, there's, I've seen and noticed and saw, uh, you know, firsthand by myself and other people that there's a ceiling to that though. You need to insert mindset at some point to get to that next level. And I feel like I talked about it in like 2020, 2021, but I didn't fully embrace it like inside. And around 2022, when I had, uh, seen a, a little bit more success and really fully embrace the mindset, like inside, not just talking about it, actually fully embracing it, that there's like, you know, that mindset of abundance and you don't have to step over somebody or stab them in the back to make money. Like, you know, the long-term benefits of win-win situations and all those things. Um, I think I just eventually got it. I don't know, probably later than some, but I just saw enough evidence of it. And I saw people around me with that mindset and where they were like, I had two conversations with billionaires, which is really crazy. Like in-person conversations in 2020, like six, months apart. And I felt like it was the first time I felt like I was living in a simulation because they were saying the exact same thing, almost like word for word, almost the exact same thing. And I'm like, their mindset is a million miles above mine, but they're both saying the same thing and they don't even know each other. So like there is more to this mindset thing. They, they weren't billionaire, you know, they weren't special because they were billionaires. They were billionaires because they were special. And I think just that mindset thing that really seeing it in, in person, like smacking me in the face over and over that like, this is a huge part of it. I, I fully embrace it. And once I did, like once I stopped like chasing money and like, obviously I'm in this for money, but uh, really at first, once I started like chasing solutions and impact and foregoing money in the short term for the long-term benefit and not like trying to make money in every single interaction I had, it took a little bit of time. But after I truly did that, that's when I started to make more money than I did before when I was chasing money. So it's just really hard for me to say, Hey, like, you know, don't think of the, don't think of elephants, like, and to not think of like, you're, you're going to like, what you want is what you're going to think about. It's really hard to train your brain to like, have that, like that delayed gratification. It's really hard to, to actually train your brain to that. But once you do, and you like fully believe that I'm going to leave this situation, providing value and a solution, and I'm going to walk away without making any money, like the full circle that that comes around to how much money you make. I just had seen it enough times that I'm an idiot. I'd be even bigger idiot, not to actually fully embrace it. Are there any special tactics or anything that you avoid uh, in your life that allows you to have that mindset? Right there, there's several things on social media that they, you know, in the in the uh, the improvement sphere, where um, you know, stay away from this, wake up like you mentioned, scrubbing, uh, wake up early, um, you know hang out with a certain amount of friends that have the same mindset as you, if they don't eliminate them, is there anything that you purposely avoid because you're on social media all the time? So obviously social media can't be this, this detrimental thing because you seem to be winning. Um, you know, but what things do you just stay away from that ensure that you have a healthy mindset? 
Yeah, I, I try to stay away from that negativity. Um, but I think a lot of it's the environment that I work in every day. Like I see things on social media and sometimes it affects me. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes says somebody says something mean and I get pissy and snap back. Sometimes I just ignore it and kill them with kindness kind of thing. But I think in general, it's just the, the environment, the, the culture that we've created around the office. Working with my friends is another huge benefit of that, right? Like I've seen people say like, if you, if your friends aren't making more money than you, then get rid of your friends. And like, I can kind of see not hanging around people that don't have the, like, I could see that to a certain degree, but, um, and I've even said those kind of things. And then people are like, well, why don't you bring up your friends with you? And I'm like, well, I, I do do that. But, um, I think the biggest thing for me is I've had those moments where like it was affected me, but like seeing that it's not the end of the world and to think the things that people say and do, like what position do they, how do they have to be feeling to actually write that and type that out or say those things? It's like one of those things where like hurt people, hurt people kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's just where they are. They're not like bad people. They're just hurting. So they're trying to misery loves company kind of thing. So I just think getting a perspective, I think that's, that's my biggest, um, at attribute, I would say is probably the best word, not superpower, not that uh, D baggy to say superpower, <laughs> but like, um, like attribute. I saw a video on it the other day, like so many people, and I'm going to word this wrong. They have like a, a per- perception, how they view the world is their perception. And, and it's, it's true because it's how they view it, but it's not how the world is. Like just because that's how they view it and that's how it is to them. That's, that's important, but that's not like removing yourself. But the word perspective means you can remove yourself from a situation and see a situation in totality by removing yourself from it and not viewing it through your lens, viewing it through a lens that's that's far away. And that's really hard to do. And I think that's that's the thing that's been the most beneficial for me is I'm able to remove myself from a situation and make tactical decisions and not let emotion get involved and, and really make decisions that most people don't or won't or can't. So I think that along with the social media, that goes along with that. And then also, like I mentioned, the, the culture and environment we have around here, just being goofy, being um you know, being silly. It's a good thing we don't have an HR uh, department. We probably, we need to soon. We just had a talk about that. Um, we definitely want to make sure everybody's feeling and heard, but as far as just being goofy and silly and um, it's a, uh, it's a good environment to be in. And if I'm feeling down, I come to the office and I see, you know, my guys, Matt or Kayola or Lucas being goofy with a beard, hitting a putt or just doing whatever, you know, being silly around the office, it, it brings you up. Yeah. Perception definitely is a, uh, is your reality and you have an empathy for people who leave negative thoughts i saw someone say something negative about you making a quarter of a million a year and uh calling yourself average which uh they don't know your situation and they don't know the work that you put in um do you really believe that everyone can own their own freedom i do i think um some people's path to that is a lot longer than others like i have people um inside my community and people i know that it come from I don't want to speak too much generalities here, but probably worse situation than anybody listening to this. Like uh, Eunice, one of one of my dudes here in St. Louis, he uh, he got um, stabbed in high school twenty times by his uncle. He got shot in a drive-by shooting. He was in the foster care system, and his girlfriend broke up with him, which he said it hurt him worse than anything. Wow. And he's twenty-two years old. He owns seventeen rental properties and has wholesaled over twenty houses. And he's twenty-two years old, and he, that was his upbringing. He, and he he moved over from Africa when he was three. Didn't speak any English. Didn't speak really, and got in the foster care system. Like those type of situations. Like very few people have had to overcome that. And and I had a leg up on a lot of people, but I always say like lower middle class is where I came from. Like one pair of tennis shoes a year, pack your lunch every day to save money. Like 
the best way to describe it is like we didn't have a lot, but I didn't want for anything. Like you didn't know any different as a kid. So I not like no sob story, but we, I didn't come from like money. So I feel like a lot of people need to get through that mindset side of it. And then you take action. Anybody can do it. It might take somebody listening 10 years to buy 10 rentals. It might take somebody else 10 months to buy 10 rentals. Like everybody has a path to get there. They just have to figure out the next step and the next step to actually achieve it. And they have to not give up when they fail because that's the the number one thing that, that leads to um, people not succeeding is they give up after they fail. Like Elon Musk, you mentioned earlier, he's failed more than anybody probably in the world. That's why he's where he is. So as long as you get up after you fail, you're going to get there. You just have to continually do it. And it's really tough sometimes. So I think having a good support system and some guidance goes a long way. Your, your book owned your own freedom. Own Your Freedom is the name of yep, your Yep, Own Your Freedom. Yep, that's it. How long did it take you to write that, and how many revisions did you have? And- you know the answer to that, James. That's why you're asking. You're teeing me up, you little. All right. Um. So, yeah. Um. So, I hired a ghostwriter to write this with me. Um. Seven grand is what I paid him. And we, we I did, like, we... They sent me like, I literally wrote the book almost. They sent me a ton of questions. I answered them all. We split up into 12 chapters. We met weekly for an hour. They recorded it, transcribed it. So it was like, I was the substance behind it, but they put it on paper and I gave it to my wife and read it. And she was like, uh, is this for real? Like it was horrible. Um, so I scrapped that, um, ended up just writing it myself. It took me probably eight or nine months to write it myself. The whole process took about 18 months because of the the initial ghostwriter. So they did help me kind of, I guess, systemize it, but I wrote it all and, you know, threw it in chat GPG to like help, like, um, you know, check with the grammar and make sure it flowed and made sense. But I, I wrote it all. And that's why it's like not that well written of a book, but the message behind it is powerful and it's $5 on Amazon. So it's worth the buy, but it, it's uh, definitely not an author, but I, I've had people reach out and it's doing all right on sales. I don't push it a ton. And it, I feel like it's helping get the brand out there, but um, it took me a long time to write it. James, answer your question. Um, <laughs> took me a long time, right? It took me a long time to write a, a, a mediocre book, but uh, the message behind it is cool. And I feel like uh, I've got some messages from people that have been inspired by it. So that's been cool. Well, you mentioned failure and I wanted to know what would make the book a success or a failure? And that, that's where I was leading with my question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, that's where I was going. Whatever, James. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so I think that, uh, I think it's, it's been a success. I don't, it's not blown. It was like Amazon bestseller for a while, which is super easy to do. Um, and it was, uh, it's one of those things where I think I sold a couple thousand copies in, in like a couple months. So nothing crazy. I haven't like pushed it and done a ton. And there's books I've done way, way, way better, but it's done a lot better than a lot of books. So, um, I think maybe I'll do a little bit more of a push if I do like a version two or like a supplemental thing, but it, it's, it's done pretty good. I'm going to do an audio book soon to kind of re-release it and, uh, kind of, kind of have a second release, but I think it's been a success. I'd say it's about where I thought it'd be. I thought there's a chance it could really, really do well. And there's a chance it could bomb. It's kind of been in the middle. And I think that's, uh, that's about, about where I thought it would be. That's great. And you, you have a community, which I want to get to. Um, I wanted to know if you shared the book in a community, but you have an aspiration to buy, to create a basketball team. I'm in Baltimore or near Baltimore, I should say. And we had the Washington Bullets. And now we have no basketball team. (laughs) (laughs) So I do know your pain of, uh, you know, uh, grateful that we have the Wizards, which are, you know, close in Washington, D.C. But, you know, you're in St. Louis. You guys don't have a basketball team. You have aspirations of owning a basketball team, bringing a basketball team to St. Louis. Um, 
I like the message behind that. Can you speak you know to the <laughs> Can you speak to why you want to bring a basketball team to <laughs> to St. Louis? Don't laugh. St. Louis isn't that bad, okay? My goodness, Baltimore ain't bad. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, you know, we're we're on the, we're, we're even keel there. I would say so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the basketball thing, so I'll kind of round that out and, and I appreciate you bringing that up because it's not just about the vanity of an NBA team owner f- at all, but, um, in general, yeah. So I, I set these goals like to own 10 rental properties in 10 years was my initial goal. And then I had some other ones. And then the goal was, you know, 25 million in real estate by 2025. And like all these goals that we were just blowing out of the water. It's probably, I would say that goal was 10 rentals, right? And we're almost 10 years in and we have almost 300. So, like, let's set some crazy goals and let's put some reasons behind it. So the goals are now a billion dollars in real estate, a billion dollar organization and an NBA team. And and the reason for all of them, but especially the NBA team is it checks all the boxes. It's a tangible, it's a tangible goal that, that checks all the boxes and all those boxes are, I will have made a lot of money. Obviously I will have made a lot of connections in the business industry, networking and getting to know multimillionaires, centimillionaires, billionaires and connecting with those people. Cause the few that I have, everybody says, you know, the rich are greedy. No, they're some of the nicest, most giving people I know. Um, so getting involved with more of those people, getting involved locally here in the community, as far as government goes and policy goes and planning and organization. And I want to make, I want to get involved there. Um, and St. Louis, I don't think is on the radar for an NBA team right now. So that will mean I have made St. Louis a more uh, helped make a St. Louis, a more desirable city for people to move in, to grow up a family in, to, uh, to, you know, just to be here, be like, kind of like a, a you know, like an up and coming type of city, like Nashville or something like that, that just had a recent, like, ri- you know, Boom. rise in interest and in people yeah. moving to it. So yeah. all of those things, plus I will have created an will be creating a lot of jobs um, for the, for the area. And then obviously it's be really cool to be an NBA team owner. So <laughs> that's kind of all like the, 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 from vanity down to like realism reasons why it'd be cool to own one. And if I do all that and don't own one, I will be just fine. But owning one would be cherry on the top. That That's just a, a, a huge goal, uh, a major aspiration because you're essentially trying to revive a city. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I just don't know of anyone who's trying to do that. Gary Vaynerchuk wants to own the Jets, but he's just Gary V. That's what he's just a huge fan. Yeah, of he's the just Jets, a fan right? of the it's Jets. A, yeah. I'm not, I don't know. There's the no team. team. <laughs> and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to create one from, from the ground up. Um, what happens if you don't make that? make that goal do you feel like you still made st louis a better place a a bigger travel destination somewhere where people aim to live yeah i I think um you know small way we started to do that uh i think we'll continue to whether we get a team or not um you know we've had so we have we and we we can get into a little bit but we have like 1500 um students inside of my community and we've had four or five move to St. Louis. And when the people move to St. Louis like uh, uh one of the coaches coach Kaola moved from Hawaii to St. Louis to go all in and be a part of our culture. And those people are all investing in St. Louis and making it a better city. All the 300-ish units that I own, they are all like people get it a little bit twisted. Your audience probably doesn't cuz they understand investing, but like investors take a, a horrible house that's not livable or super outdated and make it livable and they add to the supply. You know, the general public thinks investors are like pulling 
these beautiful houses from families and putting them on the street or something. No, like, no, I'm taking the house that needs 60 grand to be livable that not one homeowner has the money, knowledge, experience, or know-how to actually get it livable. So we're like adding to the shortage of houses and providing people have to rent and want to rent and providing great quality rentals as well as providing great quality flips to people. So we are reviving neighborhoods. The 42 pack house that I bought is in a, it's in a neighborhood of 120 houses. We own 50 houses in there now. And we rehabbed almost every single one at this point. We spent over a million dollars on the rehabs and we have upped the value of every house in that neighborhood. We are holding our tenants accountable for keeping their lawns clean, making it like the police are there less. And there is, um, you know, the property values have gone up like crazy and people are paying more property tax to the city because their values, like everything is just, it's making uh, places better. So we're doing that at some would say a large scale, I would still say a pretty small scale up to this point, but we're like, people are moving from around the country that are involved in my community and network, and they're doing it the right way, the way we do it. We're landlords, not slumlords, and that is making the city better. So the long-term ripple effects of that will never be known. But if we start to do that at more scale, I think we'll be able to see it and it'll be tangible pretty quickly. The, the community has to be getting people to freedom faster because I I used to live in Oahu and I don't know if I would leave there to come to Maryland or St. Louis, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's wild, man. He's, he's wild. No, it would just have to be a great opportunity. And I love what you're doing. Uh, this has, has the city come to you or tried to stop you in any way? No, I, I don't think, uh, honestly, I don't think we're quite on their radar yet to any degree. We've got some bigger apartments and a few things. And some of the you, St. Louis is a ton of, it's like 88 municipalities and everyone has different, like that's why it's hedge funds have trouble here because one municipality, you need this occupancy for this one. You don't one, you need an interior. So it's just kind of a mess, but for us, it's an advantage. So I, I don't think we've been on the radar enough of the big, of like the city city. Um, but like the municipalities for sure, they're thanking us. They're happy. They, some of them send us properties and things like that. So we for sure on a smaller scale, but like 45 million ish, whatever in real estate's a lot. I get that a thousand percent, but like, I don't think most people, this is that perspective thing, understand the, the totality of the real estate industry. Like I was on a plane a couple of weeks ago and like, literally I was flying and I pointed to my, I was with my, we were going to Vegas to be on some podcasts. I pointed to my COO and I was like, you know, we own $45 million worth of real estate. We're in the air. And I was like, that's like that two blocks worth of like volume, <laughs> uh, like value, right? Those two blocks in like somewhere down St. Louis with a couple nice apartments and, and, you know, like, uh, you know, commercial building, that's 45 million in real estate. And there's this entire rest of it that we don't even touch. And St. Louis isn't even that big of a city. So, um, I, I appreciate your question. We, we've done really good and we're going to continue to do good, but I don't, I don't think we quite got on the radar of, of the city yet. I think with social media, hopefully, and as we continue to do things the right way, we will, but uh, on a small scale, we're, we're starting to make some dents. Um, okay. What books do you recommend outside of your book? Outside of own your freedom, $5 Amazon, go buy it. Comes yes. with a 40 video course. No, just kidding. Yes. Uh, you can add that out if you want or leave it. Uh, but, uh, so I, I have a stack of books that, that we read and, and I'll, I'll answer your question and, and explain how we do it. Like, cause I think you can read books and try to do too much. You can read too many books and not do enough. Like there, there's, um, there, there's a, there's a, a secret sauce that I feel like we have, uh, utilized to, um, take the most out of these books. So, so what we do is uh, we have a leadership team. We meet every Monday morning, uh, me, Lucas, our CFO and our COOs of all of our three companies. And part of those meetings are a book club. 
We read a book. We just got done with reading um, uh, uh, The One Thing by Gary Keller. And we read a chapter and we discuss it. Every person kind of gives their thoughts on it. We bounce it back and forth for 10 minutes in the middle of the meeting. And we take something from it and we decide what we're going to implement or not. Usually it's just one or two things per book. Um, and then we move on to the next one. If you try to do too much, you're never going to end up doing anything. So that's the strategy that we do, like an internal little book club. And I think it's extremely impactful and powerful, the fact that we're having discussions about it and giving our opinions. And I like that. I didn't like that kind of things like Sometimes it gets heat, not heated, but sometimes it gets passionate, let's say. Um, so I think that's how we do it. And I think if anybody can do that with a buddy, a friend, um, in their big business, small business, I think that's a great, great way to do it. Um, uh, so that's how we get the most out of it. And then there's, I mean, a ton of really good books. I feel like I, uh, to be honest with you, I went on this like, this book binge of like two years, just nonstop books. And I haven't been as into books. I usually was reading one for our book club and one for like on my own, like constantly, like, I don't know, not that, not like crazy, but like 10, 15 books a year, maybe a little more. Um, and like reading them and, and trying to soak them all in. But recently I just haven't, I don't know if it's cause I've been so busy. It's because I don't like feel like I know it all, but like I've, I, whatever it is, I feel like I, I haven't been as into books recently and I hope that comes back cause I did enjoy it. So I think there's that side of it too. But in general, I like to get like bigger picture knowledge, like some books that I really like that, you know, people can, can check out if, if they feel up their flavors, like eat your frog is a great book that not many people know right, about. It's about doing the hardest thing of the day at the beginning of the day, the mindset, the, the physical and mental, uh, when you get of doing that and the rest of your day is downhill and easier from there. Um, I, I love, I love me some Jim Collins. Good to great is a really, really quad might be one of my favorite books ever. I got entree leadership by Dave Ramsey. Uh, it's a, it's a leadership in my uh, book. I haven't read that one twice, but uh, that one um, looking over there, uh, the traction um, by Gina Wickman's huge, huge for us. Um, and then, you know, like the, uh, the the advantage by Patrick Lencioni. So they're like mindset business type books. I'm not reading books on how to invest in real estate. I'm doing that and figuring it out and trying to help people do it. So um, in general, just the more of those mindset type books and the power of thinking big and things like that. We're getting ready to start uh, Simon Sinek's um, Your Why or the big, whatever the why one Simon Sinek wrote. So um, yeah, just, just trying to just get enough to where you can like soak it in and, and implement it and not overdo it, I think is the sweet spot that we're, that we're doing by doing a chapter a week and not like reading the entire book in three days, like some people do. And then on to the next book, like you didn't really get that much from it. And you're not going to be able to implement some of it. If you're on another book, that's telling you to do something different. Right. Right. Reading without action is futile. So there you go. Look at that. I'm going to use that as a tweet. Thank you, James. <laughs> but I do have a, uh, speaking of tweets and quotes, I do have one from you here. Uh, that you recently posted and we're going to leave with this. I'm going to bring this up here. Sorry. It's taking me so long. Uh-oh, hopefully but. it was a good one. <laughs> no, cause uh, I, I've heard you speak on mindset recently. I've watched um, many of your interviews, but I remember actually driving to Atlanta and hearing your interview about how, you accumulated all of these assets and you didn't do it with your own money, which I thought was amazing. Um, and you started to speak about mindset recently. And then you had a post recently that said, fact, your mindset can be an asset or a liability is up to you. Um, I think that you embody that, you know, you talk about perception instead of uh, you talk about perspective instead of perception. You spoke on, you know, just taking action. 
in the in the faster freedom community, how do you consistently push people to get the best out of them? Or is it that I paid to be in this community and I'm just going to do what I have to do? Because I don't believe that spending money or money at all is ever the best motivator. It only works for a certain amount of time. Yeah, it, it, the longevity is not there with just money, right? So there's a there's that certain beginning of where the the uh, a quote that I kind of like that's not like put a, I guess you could put on social media, but like to a certain degree, the transformations in the transaction. If I give you something for ten bucks, it's very easy for you to be like, eh. But if you if I pay if you pay me ten grand for something, you're going to take that something a lot much more seriously. So, but that's short term. You're a thousand percent right in my opinion. That's short term. Um, the things that that we do that we try to we we try to be different. If anybody follows me on social media, they see that um that I have a lot of followers and a lot of followers with people with then with much bigger brands than mine. Which I'd rather have the brand. So I'm not bragging here, but like the Ryan Pineda, who I'm buddies with, I have way more followers than him, but his brand's way bigger. Should I have more followers than Pace Morby and his brand is a thousand times bigger. So like, it's not just about the following, but the, the point of that all was like, the, I've been able to get that following because we, we, we're, I, I try to be authentic. I try to be real. I am not like, um, I don't have like pink hair or some like definable feature. I'm just like a normal looking white dude from Missouri, right? Like I got a mustache now, but that's kind of for jokes. Like, um, but I've been able to get that, that following, get that base just because I provide quality information simply uh, explained on things I'm actually doing. Like I'm actively investing like crazy right now trying to figure out these high interest rates all right midterm rentals that's the play right now let's pull that lever and teach the people how to do that so the fact that i'm so active and um we're in the grind every day spending money on marketing trying to negotiate doing innovations figuring out the best strategy now um just gives gives the people in my community like a, a incredibly up-to-date version of what's going on to give them the advantage before the entire public starts to see that. So that's a huge part of it. And then just the community that we have, the culture we have in my office, we bring straight down to the community. Um, you know, the, 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 the two coaches own 40 rentals each. That's incredible. And then myself and Lucas take coaching calls, like very few people that are on the billboard actually do the teaching. So we, we, uh, we teach it, we coach it, we're in it. And I, I actually honestly care if somebody's not going to take action, I don't want their money. Like I only want people who are willing to take action. So I just think that fresh perspective of it's not really about the money it's about you know um, making sure we get the right people in there it has been huge and and it's 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 bared fruit now because the current community is 23 months old and we have 1500 community members that own over 200 million in real estate so um the first six to eight months i was like I, I, I this is the way i did it why isn't everybody crushing it's because it takes time and volume and now we're starting to see the fruits of that so i don't know that there's like it's not like well i have this one calculator that everybody uses that nobody <laughs> else has it's more of like the totality of us caring, us being real, us being understanding and us being involved at a deep level that, that does, I think, push people a little bit further than, than some other programs that are out there. Man. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. I, I appreciate you having me on. I, I remember when I was coming up, uh, trying to get social media and, and influence and do things. And I had so many people tell me no that, um, and it just made me mad. So I, you know, I, not, I, not that your podcast isn't, a, isn't a good big podcast, but I told myself I'm going to, uh, say yes to everything I can for as long as I can. So I appreciate you reaching out and following up after, uh, after getting, making sure I'm going to get up. And, uh, I had a great time. One of the better interviews I've had in a long time. I'm not just saying Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe, like, follow, share. Just support the podcast. 
I appreciate you all. And most importantly, keep it uplifting. Keep it uplifting.